0: How to open a talk, it's almost I think it's 8th chapter from the book How to Develop self Confidence and Influence People by Public Speaking by Dale Carnegie. In that aroused curiosity, it is an opening used by Mr. Howell Haley in a talk given at the Penn Athletic Club Philadelphia, do you like it? Does it get your interest immediately? Eighty-two years ago, and just about this year of year, there was published in London at a little volume, a story which was destined to become immortal. Many people had called it the greatest book in the world. When it first appeared, friends meeting one another on the standard at Pall Mall, asked the question, have you read it? The answer invariably was, yes, God bless him, I have. The day it was published, a thousand copies were sold. Within a fortnight, the demand has consumed fifteen thousand. Since then, it has run into countless editions and has been translated into every language under heaven. A few years ago, J.P. Morgan purchased the original manuscript for a fabulous sum. It now repose among his other priceless treasure in that magnificent art gallery in New York City when he called his library. What is the world's famous book, Dickens' Christmas Carol? Do you consider that a successful opening? Did it hold your attention, heighten your interest as it progressed? Why? Was it not because it aroused your curiosity, held you in a suspense, curiosity, who is not susceptible to it? Have seen birds in the woods fly about the hours, watching me out of sheer curiosity. I know a hunter in the high alps who came camoids by throwing a bed sheet around him and crawling about and aroused their curiosity. Dogs have curiosity and so have kittens and all manners of animals, including the well-known genius Homo. So, allows your audience curiosity was your first sentence and you have then their interest, attention, interested attention. The writer used to begin his lecture as Colonel Thomas Lawrence's Adventures in Arabian in this fashion. Lloyd John says that he regards Colonel Lawrence as one of the most romantic and picturesque characters of modern times. That opening had two advantages. In the first place, a quotation from an eminent man always has a lot of attention value. Second, it arose, arose curious to why romantic was the natural question was why picturesque? I never heard about him before. What did he do? Lowell Thomas began his lecture as Colonel Thomas Loras with his statement. I was going down Christian Street in Jerusalem one day when I met a man clad in George's Robert." of an ornament he put potentate and at this side hung the covered gold for war only by the descendants of the prophet Muhammad. But this man had none of the appearance of an Arab. He had blue eyes and the Arab's eyes are always black or brown. This speaks your curiosity, doesn't it, it? You want to hear more. Who was he? Who was he posing as an Arab? What did he do? What became of him? The student who opened his talk with this question Do you know that slavery exists in 17 nations of the world today? Not only aroused curiosity, but in addition shocked his audience that slavery today, 17 countries, seems incredible. What nations, what are there? One can often arouse curiosity by beginning with an effect and making people anxious to hear the cause. For example, one student began with a striking statement. A member of one of our legislatures recently stood up in the legislative late assembly and proposed the passage of law prohibiting tadpoles from becoming frogs within two miles of any schoolhouse. You smile. Is the speaker joking? How absurd was that? Actually done, Yes, the speaker went on to explain. An article in the Saturday Evening Post, entitled "With the Gangsters," began. Are gangsters really organized. As a rule, they are how with 10 words. You see the writer that the article announced, the subject told you some, uh, something about it and aroused your curiosity and how to... Gangster organized, very cre- predictable. Every person who aspired to speak in public, how to study the techniques that magazines writers employs to hook the reader's interest immediately. You can learn far more from them about how to open a speech than you can by studying collections of printed speech. Why not begin with a story? We especially like to hear a speaker relate narrative narratives from his own experience. Russell E. Kowal delivered his lecture Acres of Diamonds. Over six thousand times he received millions for it. And how does this marvelous popular lecture begin? In 1870 we went down the Tigris River. We hired a guide at Baghdad to show us Persepolis, Nevihaya, and Babylon. And he is off with a story that is what hooks the attention. The kind of opening is almost foolproof. It can hardly fail. It moves, it marches. We follow, we want to know what is going to happen. The story opening was used to launch chapter 3 of this book. Here are opening sentences taken from two stones that appeared in a single issue of the Saturday Evening Post. The sharp crack of a revolver punctuated the silence. An incident trivial in itself, but not at all trivial in its possible consequences, occurred at the Mountview Mount Hotel, Denver, during the first week of July. It so aroused the curiosity of Gobel, the resident manager, that he referred it to Steve Faraday, owner of the Mountview Mount and half a dozen other Faraday hotels. When Steve made his regular visit a few days later, on his midsummer swing of inspection. Note that those openings have action. They start something, they arose your curiosity, they want to read on, you want to know more, want to find out what is what it is all about. Even the unpracticed beginner can usually manage a successful opening. If you employ the story technique and arouse our curiosity, begin with a specific illustration. It is difficult, it is orders for the average audience to follow abstract statements very long. Illustrations are easier to listen to, far easier. Then why not start with one? It is hard to get speakers to do that. I know, I have tried, they feel somehow that they must first make a few general statements, not at all. Open with your illustrations, arouse the interests, then follow with your general remarks, with your wish and example for this technique. Please turn to the opening of chapter six. When a technique was employed to open this chapter, you are now reading. Use an exhibit. Perhaps the easier way in the world to gain attention is to hold up something for people to look at. Even savages and half-wits and babies in a cradle and monkeys in a store window and dogs on the streets will give heat to that kind of stimulus. It can be used sometimes with effective before the most dignified audience. For example, Mr SS Ellis of Philadelphia opened one of his stock by holding a coin between his thumbs and forefinger and high above his shoulder. Naturally everyone looked and he inquired, has anyone here ever found a coin like this on the sidewalk? It announces that the fortunate finder will be given a lot free in such and such a real estate development. He has but to call present this coin. Mr. Elise that proceeds proceeded to condemn the misleading and unethical practices involved. Ask a question. Mr. Elise open opening is another commendable feature. It begins by asking a question, by getting the audience thinking with the speaker, cooperating with him. Note that Saturday evening post article on the gangster opens with two questions in the first three sentences. Are gangsters real organized? How? The use of this question key is really one of the simplest, surest way to unlock the minds of your audience and let yourself in. When other tools prove yourself useless, you can always fall back on it. Why not opening with a question and from some famous man? The words of prominent man always have attention power. So a suitable quotation is one of the very best way of launching a harangu. Do you like the following opening of the discussion of the business success? The world bestows in big prizes both in money and honor for but one thing, says Albert Hubbard. And this is initiative. And what is initiative? I'll tell you. It is doing the right thing without being told. As a starter that has several commendable features, the initial state sentence arouses curiosity carries us forward. We want to hear more. If the speaker pauses skillfully of the word Albert Hubbard, it arouses a suspense. What does the word bestow in big prize for? We ask quick tell us, we may not agree with you, but give us your opinion anyway. The second sentence leads us right into the heart of the subject. The third sentence, a question, invites the audience to get into the in on the discussion, to think, to do a, some little something. And how audience like to do things. They love it. The fourth sentence defines initiate. After this opening, the speaker led off with a human interest story illustrating the quality. As far as construction it concerned, mood he might have rated the stock of the talk uh, tie your topic up to the vital interest of your hearers. Begin on some note that goes straight to the personal interest of the audience. That is one of the best of all possible ways to start. It is sure to get attention. We are we are mightily, mightily interested in the things that touch are significantly momentous. This is one common sense, isn't it? Yet the use of it is very uncommon. For example, I heard a speaker begin to talk on the necessity of periodic health examinations. How did he open? By telling the history of the Life Extension Institute, how it was organized and the service it was rendering. Absurd. Our hearers have not the foggiest, not the remotest interest in how some people, how some company somewhere was formed, but they are stupendously and eternally interested in themselves. Why not recognize the fundamental fact Why not show how the company is of vital concern to them? Why not begin something like this? Do you know how long you are expected to live according to life insurance tables? Your expectancy of life, as insurance statisticians phrase it, it's two-third of the time between your present age and 80. For example, if you are 35 now, the difference between your present age and 80 is 45. You can expect to live two thirds of that amount or another 30 years. Is that enough? No. No, we are all passionately eager for more. Yet those tables are based upon millions of records. May you and I then hope to beat them? Yes, with proper precautions we may, but the very first step is to have a thorough physical examination. Then, if we explain in detail why the periodic health examination is necessary, the hearer might be interested in some company formed to render the service, but to begin talking about the company in an impersonal way, it is disastrous, deadly. Take another example. I heard a student begin a talk on the prime urgency of conversing our forest. She opened like this, we as Americans, are too proud of our national resources. From that sentence, we went on to show that we are wasting our timber as a shameless, and mis- indefensible pace. But the opening was bad, too general, too vague. He did not make his subjects seem vital to us. There was a print in that audience. The destruction of our forest will mean something very real to, this, to his business. There was a banker in it going and affect him for it will affect our general prosperity and so on. Why not begin them by saying, the subject I am going to speak about affects your business, Mr. Appleby and yours, Mr. Saul. In fact, it will, in some measure, affect the price of the food we eat and rent that we pay. It touches the welfare and prosperity of us all. Is that exaggerating the importance of conserving a forest? No, I think not. It is not obeying Albert's hub, but injunction to paint the picture large and put the matter in a way that compels attention. The attention power of shocking facts. A good magazine article said SS MacLeod, the founder of an important periodic is a series of shocks. They jar us out of our daydreamers. They seize. They demand attention. Here are some illustrations. Mr. Andy Ballantine of Baltimore. Began his address as the marvels of radio with a statement. Do you realize that some of the fly walking across a pan of glass in New York can be broadcast by radio and made to to roar away off in Central Africa like the Falls of Niagara? Mr. Harry G. Jones, president of Harry G. Jones Company of New York City Began his talk on the criminal situation with these words The administration of our criminal law declared William Howard Tapp, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States, is a disgrace to civilization. That's how the double advantage of being not only a shocking opening, but the shocking statement is quoted for an authority of jurisprudence. On jurisprudence, jurisprudence. Mr. Paul Gabbard, former president of the Optimist Club of Philadelphia, opened an address, address, address. on crime with these arresting statements. The American people are the worst criminals in the world. Astounding as that assertion is, it is true. Cleveland over here has six times as many murders as all London. It has 170 times as many robberies, according to its population as, as London. More people are robbed every year or assaulted with intent to rob in Cleveland that in all England, Scotland and Wales combined more people are murdered every year in centuries than in all England and Wales. There are more murders in New York City than in the France or Germany or Italy or the British Isles. The sad truth of the matter is that the criminal is not punished. If you commit a murder, there is less than one chance in a hundred that you will ever be executed for it. You, as a peaceful citizen, are ten times as liable to die from cancer. As you would be hanged if you are shot if you shot a man. That opening was successful for Mr. Gibbons put the requisite power and earnest behind his words. They lived, they breathed. Breath breathed. However, I have heard other students begin the talks on the crime situation with somewhat similar illustrations at the openings with mediocre. Why? Words. Words, words. The technique of construction was flawless, but their spirit was milled. the manners was vitiated and emaciated all this sudden. The value of this, the value of seemingly casual opening, how do you like the following opening and why Mary E. Richmond is addressing the annual meeting of the New York League of Women Voters in the day before legislation against child marriages. Yesterday, as a train passed through a city not far from here, I was reminded for a marriage that took place there a few years ago, because many other marriages in the state have been just as hasty and disastrous as this one. I am going to begin when I have to say today with some of the details of the incident. It was on December 12, the high school girl, a 15 in that city, met for the first time a junior in a nearby college. Who well, had just attained his majority on December 15th, only three days later, they procured a marriage license by swearing the girl was 18 and was therefore free from the necessity of procuring parental consent, leaving the city clerk's office with their license. They apply, applied at once to a priest. The girl was a Catholic, but very properly, he refused to marry them in some way. Perhaps, though this priest, the child's mother received the news of the attempting marriage. Before she could find her daughter, however, a justice of the peace had united the pair. The bridegroom then took his bride to a hotel when they spent two days and two nights at the end of which time he abandoned her and never lived with her again. Personally, I like the opening very much. The very first sentence is good and focused and interesting reminiscence. We want to hear the details. which settle down to listen to a human interest story. In addition to that. It seems very natural, it does not smack of the study, it is not a formal, it does not smell of the lamb. Yesterday, as the train passed through a city not far from here, I was reminded for a marriage that took place there a few years ago. Sound natural, spontaneous, human, sound like one person related another, an interesting story to another. An audience like the, likes that, but it is very liable to shy at something, to elaborate something that rakes of preparation with malice, therefore thought we want the art that conceals art. Summary of this chapter The opening of a talk is difficult. It is also highly important, for the mind of your hearers as fresh then and comparatively easy to impress. It is too much consequence to be left to change, left to chance, it ought to be careful worked out in advance. The introduction ought to be short, only a sentence or two. Often it can be dispensed altogether, wait right into the heart of your subject with the smallest possible number of words. No one objects to that. Novices are prone to begin either by attempting to tell a humorous story or by making an apology. Both of these are usually bad. Very few people, very 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 few can relate a humorous anecdote successfully. The attempt was usually to the audience instead of entertaining them. story should be relevant, not dragged in just for the sake of a story. Humor should be the icing on the cake, not the cake itself. Never apologize. It is usually an insult to your audience. It bores them. Drive right into what you have to say. Say it quickly and sit down. A speaker may be able to win the immediate attention of his audience by arousing curiosity. Relating a human interest story beginning with a specific illustration, using an exhibit, asking a question, opening a striking quotation, showing how the topic affects the vital interest of the audience, starting with shocking facts. Don't make your opening too formal. Don't let the bone show. Make it appear free, casual, inevitable. This can be done by referring to something that has just happened or something that has just been said. That's all. Thank you. Thank you for hearing. Thank you very much.